Well, we're seeing it happen again. More destruction in our nation, and this time in our own backyard. Latest reports are that from the fires, that more than three dozen people have been killed. Hundreds have been injured. Hundreds more are unaccounted for. And thousands of buildings have burned. They say it's the third worst fire in California history. And when we see the results, we recognize that it's, it's not just things that have burned up, but people's lives have been changed, have been devastated. And they are probably wondering, what's next? What does my future look like? Is there any hope? Is there anything I can count on? Have you ever felt helpless? Ever felt hopeless? Maybe we haven't experienced the devastation of these fires, but maybe we've experienced other things. And maybe we've had that feeling inside of us of being hopeless. As I was listening to the reports about the fires this week and seeing pictures, there's something that stood out to me in this picture. The foundation is still there. Paul was talking about that in that epistle lesson that we had a few minutes ago. He was talking about how we build and use all sorts of materials. And he might be referring to teachings, but he might also be referring to other things that we kind of build up in our life, you know, possessions and people and accomplishments and all sorts of things like that. But he said, finally, a fire would come, God's judgment and burn that all so that the only thing left for us to stand on and have hope in is that foundation. And he wrote those words, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. This month we are looking at the foundations of our faith recalling the five important facts that the Lutheran Reformation that we're celebrating 500 years now brought to our attention and laid again for us to stand on. We've been looking at uh, grace alone and faith alone, and today we want to focus on Christ alone and note that that is our hope. Paul lays out the details of that hope in his letter to the Colossians, and I'd like to share some of those verses with you today. He starts out this way. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. No doubt people who are returning to their homes to find them devastated feel hopeless. And they maybe wonder what kind of future is left for them now. Now I personally haven't experienced a devastating fire or a hurricane or an earthquake in which I had damage. 
but I've experienced and, and, and seen it in the lives of others who have had things happen that are devastating. A disease, a cancer, death, the loss of jobs, the loss of money, broken relationships. All of those things are things that sometimes can really shake the foundation of our life that we, that we thought was firm and that we were building on. Does that mean that it's all lost, that there's no future? That's not what Paul was pointing us to. Not those things around us, but something on which we stand, and he gets us to focus ahead. When later on in this letter he writes, And giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. You see, Paul lifts our eyes past the kingdom of this world and all the, the stuff and the experiences we have here. And he points us ahead to that kingdom of light, and he says, that's your inheritance. That's your future. To help us understand that that is sure, that that is certain, he reminds us of the firm foundation on which we stand all of which is because of Christ. He gives us five reasons why we can have hope in Christ alone. Here's the first one. He says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Jesus has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. Now, this past week, we've been hearing about a lot of rescues. First responders rushing into dangerous situations to save others. They're going door to door and not just saying, hey, we think you ought to evacuate, but get out of here. The fire is right there. We've seen videos of, of policemen carrying people out of their homes because they couldn't get out on their own. I heard of uh, the report of the police flying their helicopters in very dangerous conditions because of the wind and the smoke over communities searching for people who need to be rescued. They were rushing right in to danger. Jesus rushed right into danger to rescue us. He left the glories, he left the perfection of heaven and came into this sinful, uh, ruined and rebellious world to save us. I mean, think of how dangerous it was for him. The people, the very people he came to save, rejected him. Some hated him and brought about his death. And the one he came to defeat, the devil, was fighting against him with powerful temptations to try to knock him off course, to keep him from going to the cross, or to get him to sin, the devil was fighting against Jesus. Jesus put himself in dangerous situation. And yet he's the only one who could do it. He's the only one who could rescue us because there was nothing that we could do. It was all about the Creator coming to save the created. The sinless one stepping in for the sinful one. And he came for one purpose. Paul says, 
in whom, that is in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. With that, he's reminded us we've been redeemed. Now that word in the original language means a prisoner has been released because a ransom price has been paid. The accusations, the guilt, the sentence against us has been erased because Christ took that upon himself. And he paid the ransom price of his own life. He didn't pay it to the devil. He paid it to his own father who demanded that because that was the price for sin. And Jesus paid it for us. Sometimes when we hear of uh, police officers or firefighters or, or even soldiers uh, giving up their life to protect somebody else, we think, wow, those are heroes. I want you to think a little bit about what Jesus did. Though those police and firefighters and soldiers probably weren't intending to give up their life, but they put themselves in that situation and it happened. Jesus intended to give up his life. He came into this world for that very purpose, to give up his life for us. All along, he knew what would happen, and it never deterred him from giving up his life. Paul refers to the blessing that we get as an inheritance. And you know an inheritance. It means somebody has died and has left you a gift because they loved you. Jesus died and gave us the gift of eternal life because he loved us. And all of that now works to repair a relationship with God. Listen to how Paul explains it. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of, and it's really better translated, resulting in your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Paul tells us now, because he came and rescued us, because he redeemed us and owns us now, we are reconciled with God. Have you ever had a broken relationship with somebody? You know, at a point where maybe uh, you were at odds, uh, maybe you were arguing, you kind of broke things off, and, and you know that kind of situation just brings a lot of heartache and a lot of anxiety and tension into life. But if you've ever had a relationship repaired, you know what a relief that is, what joy there is, that now you're back and at one with somebody. Well, that's what Paul was describing here. He said, you were alienated from God by your evil works. And now we hear that and you go, 
You ain't talking about me, are you? I mean, I've been a Christian all my life. I've always loved God and worshipped God, or maybe if not all my life, lived for a good portion of my life. So he's talking that way to the Colossians, because, you know, at one point, they were heathen. Or maybe he's talking about people like that shooter in Vegas who was evil, or the terrorists who are evil and don't love God. No. Paul's talking about you and me. Because the Bible tells us that from birth we have no fear and no faith in God. That our mind is always hostile to God. It does not want to do what God tells us to do. You know, with, with all the fires going on, it uh, was kind of like the perfect storm situation. You had dry conditions, a lot of vegetation, you had the winds, and then you had some sparks that turned into fires all over. That's kind of like the situation with us. We have a sin nature, we have a world that wants to lead us astray, the devil who works on us. It's like the perfect storm, and so we are hostile to God. And there's like a double jeopardy here because God is holy and you cannot be in the presence of God because he's holy. And here we are sinful and we can't do anything about it. But God did something. He reconciled us. And that word is referring to repairing a relationship. Every time that that's talked about in the New Testament, this reconciliation, it always tells us how it comes about. Because God did something. We couldn't. But God reconciled us in Christ. In in these verses that I'm reading, Paul uses words, uh, titles, descriptions of Jesus 27 times. That's a lot for like a dozen verses. 27 times. What's he emphasizing? In Christ alone, you have a firm foundation. So how do you look at life? You see all the things you have, all the things that you do. Do you take a look at your sins? How do you view them? Now, Sometimes maybe people think, you know, we make too much of a big deal about sin. I mean, you know, just move on. That's what we do. We don't take it so seriously. Just move on. It happens. Or... Sometimes we like to do a little bit of comparison, you know. Well, I'm not like that guy in Vegas. I wouldn't do that. I'm not like the terrorists. I'm not like this person or that person. I'm, I'm pretty decent. I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty decent. Or sometimes we just become tolerant of the sin and don't think that it's anything to get upset about. And what we end up doing is bringing God down because we think, Sin isn't that big of a deal, so God probably doesn't think it's a big deal. And then we lift ourselves up and we say, you see, I'm not so bad. And we're not looking at it in the right way. It is a big deal to God. So big that he put his son to death for the sins of the world. Paul reminds us that, and that, that's our foundation on which we stand. And despite what, what goes on around us, Despite what we may lose, 
We've got Christ. Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, this line here that one, one guy wrote, it, it's partly because sin does not provoke our own wrath that we do not believe that sin provokes the wrath of God. We, we take it or look at it so lightly we think God does too. And that's just not the case. But we have a firm foundation. Christ. We're rescued. We're redeemed. We're reconciled with God. Jesus once told that parable about building. And he was talking about building our lives. And he said, look at how somebody might build a house. If they build it on sand, when the wind and the waves and the storm comes, that foundation will be washed away and that house will crash. But if that house is built on a rock, when the wind and the waves and the storms come, and note, wind and waves will come in our life. But built on the rock, we stand. And he said, that rock is hearing his word, which points us to him. Because in him we have reconciliation with God. Jesus told another uh, story. We often refer to it as the parable of the prodigal son. You know that son who asked his dad for his share of the inheritance and then took it and went off and lived in riotous, sinful ways, blew the whole inheritance, and then finally came to his senses when he realized that the pigs were eating better than he was eating. He came to his senses and, and realized that he had a loving father and his life could be restored. And then Jesus shifts the focus of that story off the prodigal and onto the father. And he says, all the while, while the son is off in a distance, his father was there waiting for the son and just watching for him to come back. And when he came back, he welcomed him warmly and richly. And that, Jesus reminds us, is you. God is waiting for you. God is watching you and with love welcomes you back. That's the firm foundation we stand on with Christ. But how do we handle it when we have all these disasters going on? Whether it's earthquakes or hurricanes or personal problems or diseases or whatever. How can we be so sure of things? Paul reminds us because of Christ. Our hope is firm and sure because our future is certain. He gives us two reasons to believe that. He says the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Did you hear why he's telling us we can be certain that our future is full of blessing? It's because of Christ. He rules. He reigns. 
And he shows us three reasons why. First of all, because he created everything. When it calls him the firstborn of creation, it didn't mean that Jesus was created. It meant he was the creator, the originator of the things. And all of those things now work for him. So he rules over everything. Everything is done under his purview, under his control. He sees it, he knows it, he uses it for his plan. And so Paul could say, everything is being held together by God. Do you ever feel sometimes like things are out of control in your own life? You know, your schedule is crazy. So many things to do, you just can't get it all done. And then you turn on the TV and see what's going on in the world or in our country, and you go, man, things are really out of control. But they're not for God. Everything is under his control. He's holding it all together. Those microscopic cells that we can't see in our body, he knows about them. The evil thoughts that are in some people's minds and hearts, he knows about them. All these natural disasters, these powers of nature that we can't do anything about, he knows about it and he controls it. He holds all things together for his plan to bless us, to bring us to that ultimate blessing of raising us and exalting us with eternal life. Look at these phrases that Paul used throughout this section of Scripture to remind us of that. He said that we have a hope stored up in heaven. It's guarded, it's protected through Jesus' resurrection. He said, you will have a share in the inheritance of his holy people. There is an inheritance of eternal life and blessings, and part of it is yours. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He's assuring us that because Jesus lives, we're going to live. Now, we might wonder, why is there death then in this world? Because death is God's way of taking us away from sin and away from this sin-ruled, ruined world to give us glories that are eternal. It's all based on Jesus' resurrection. His resurrection is like the cement that pulls together all of his work, all of his life and his death. It's in that resurrection that we have the promise, the assurance, and that firm hope of eternal life. That's why Job in the Old Testament could say, even though this skin will be destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. The resurrection of Christ is central to our faith. It is the firm foundation. He lives, so we will live. So a lot's been going on. We see a lot of things being destroyed, a lot of people's lives being changed. And it maybe forces us to ask the question, going forward, what can we expect? And what should we do? Are there going to be more disasters? Will there be more trouble in, in my life? What can I rely on? Paul reminds us, you have a firm foundation It'll protect you. 
It gives you stability and certainty. It's simply Christ and Him alone. Amen.